I would like to share, by the way, since uh, somebody else wrote this sermon, it might be the best sermon you've ever heard at Redemption Arcadia. So um, I would like to share with you a letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul. The postmark reveals that it comes from the city of Ephesus. After opening the letter, I discovered that it was written in Koine Greek rather than English. At the top of the first page was this request. Please read to your congregation as soon as possible and then pass on to the other churches. So now it's being passed on to Redemption Arcadia. For several weeks, I have worked assiduously with the translation. At times, it has been difficult, but now I think I have deciphered its meaning. May I hasten to say that if in presenting this letter, the contents sound strangely Kingian instead of Paulinian, attribute it to my lack of complete objectivity rather than Paul's lack of clarity. Here's the letter. I, an apostle Paul of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to you who are in America, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For many years I have longed to be able to come and see you. I have heard so much of what you are doing. I have heard of the fascinating and astounding advances that you have made in the scientific, scientific realm. I have heard of your dashing subways and your flashing airplanes. Through your scientific genius, you have been able to dwarf distance and place time in chains. In your world, you have made it possible to eat breakfast in New York City and have dinner in Paris, France. I have also learned of your skyscraping buildings with their prodigious towers steeping heavenward. I have heard of your great medical advances, which have resulted in the curing of many dread plagues and diseases, and thereby prolonging your lives and making for greater security and physical well-being. All of that is marvelous. You can do so many things in your day that I could not do in the Greco-Roman world of my day. In your age, you can travel distances in one day that took me three months to travel. That is wonderful. You have, made a tr you have made tremendous strides in the area of scientific and technological development. Do you get the feeling he's setting you up for something? He's setting uh, up his congregation to hear that in our culture, we are conditioned to, um, to rely on and to worship man and man-made organizations and man-made uh, inventions rather than the one true God. And he wants to set up that contrast. So the letter continues. But America, as I look at you from afar, I wonder whether your moral and spiritual progress has been commensurate with your scientific progress. See, those words are timeless, I think. Your poet Thoreau used to talk about, listen to this phrase now, your poet Thoreau used to talk about improved means to an unimproved end. How often this is true. You have allowed the material means by which you live to outdistance the spiritual ends for which you live. You have allowed your mentality to outrun your morality. You have allowed your civilization to outdistance your culture. Through your scientific genius, you have made the world a neighborhood, but through your moral and spiritual genius, you have failed to make of it a brotherhood. So America, I would urge you to keep your moral advances abreast with your scientific advances. I am impelled, I am impelled to write to you concerning the responsibilities laid upon you to live as Christians in the midst of an unchristian world. And our world is more unchristian now than it was in 1956. That is what I had to do. That is what every Christian has had to do. But I understand that there are many Christians in America who give their allegiance to man-made systems and customs. They are afraid to be different. Their great concern is to be accepted socially. They live by some such principle as this. 
Everybody is doing it, so it must be all right. For so many of you, morality is merely group consensus. In your modern sociological lingo, the mores are accepted as the right ways. You have unconsciously come to believe that right is discovered by taking some sort of Gallup poll of the majority opinion. But, but American Christians, I must say to you, as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, Romans 12.1, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or as I said to the Philippian Christians, Philippians 3, you are a colony of heaven. This means that although you live in the colony of time, your ultimate allegiance is to the empire of eternity. You have a dual citizenry. You live both in time and eternity, both in heaven and earth. Therefore, your ultimate allegiance is not to the government or political party or to the state or to the nation or to any man-made institution. The Christian owes his ultimate allegiance to God, and if any earthly institution conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to stand against it. You must never allow the transitory, evanescent demands of man-made institutions to take precedence over the eternal demands of the Almighty God. I love that sentence. I also understand that you have an economic system in America known as capitalism. Through this economic system, you've been able to do wonders. You have become the richest nation in the world, and you have built up the greatest system of production that history has ever known. All of this is marvelous. But Americans, there is a danger that you will misuse your capitalism. Love for money can be a root of all sorts of wickedness. It can cause one to live a life of gross materialism. I am afraid that many among you are more concerned about making a living than making a life. You are prone to judge the success of your profession by the index of your salary and the size of your wheelbase on your automobile rather than the quality of your service to humanity. Similarly, uh, similar to our love for money, the misuse of capitalism can also lead to tragic exploitation. This has so often happened in your nation. They tell me that one-tenth of one percent of the population controls more than 40 percent of the wealth. If you are a truly Christian nation, you must solve this problem. Now listen to this. Some of you that may have an understanding of who Martin Luther King is, listen very closely to this. And you cannot solve the problem by turning to communism, for communism is based on an ethical relativism and metaphysical materialism that no Christian can accept. You can work within the framework of democracy to bring about a better distribution of wealth. You can use your powerful economic resources to wipe poverty from the face of the earth. God intends for all of his children to have the basic necessities of life, and he has left this universe enough and to spare for that purpose. And by the way, if you don't believe that, read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Let me rush on to say something about the church, Americans. I must remind you, as I have said to so many others, that the church is the body of Christ. So when the church is true to its nature, it knows neither division nor disunity, but I am disturbed about what is happening to the body of Christ. They tell me that in America, you have within Protestantism more than 250 denominations. The tragedy is not so much that you have such a multiplicity of denominations, but that many of them are warring against each other. This narrow sectarianism is destroying the unity of the body of Christ. You must come to see that God is neither Baptist nor Methodist. He is neither Presbyterian nor Episcopalian. God is bigger than all of our denominations. 
And then he has some corrective words for the Catholic Church, and then he moves on. There is another thing that disturbs me to no end about the American church. You have a white church, and you have a Negro church. You have allowed segregation to creep into the doors of the church. How can such a division exist in the true body of Christ? You must face the tragic fact that when you stand at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning to sing All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, you stand in the most segregated hour of America. They tell me that there is more integration in the entertaining world and in other secular agencies than there is in the Christian church. How appalling that is. I'm reading a book right now by Seth Davidovitz called Everybody Lies. He's a PhD economist and journalist, and he's writing the book about um, big data. And uh, the research that he's able to present to us about our internet searches proves that we are still really struggling with racism. And, and not a racism that is systematic, but, but in fact, an, a, 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 the type of racism where uh, in, in, the, in the right context, people will absolutely talk about how racist they truly are. So um, even this from 62 years ago uh, should hit home with some people. He writes this. This is, again, the Apostle Paul, though. I understand that there are Christians among you who try to justify segregation on the basis of the Bible. They argue that the Negro is inferior by nature because of Noah's curse upon the children of Ham. Oh, my friends, this is blasphemy. This is against everything that the Christian religion stands for. We're getting ready to go through Ephesians starting next Sunday for 39 weeks. And I will tell you, one of the major themes in Ephesians is the unity of all nations, all ethnicities in Christ, that in Christ... None of this should be uh, going on. I must say to you, as, I've, I, as I have said to so many Christians before, that in Christ, and then he quotes Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So Americans, I must urge you to get rid of every aspect of segregation. Segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we all have in Christ. Again, I cite Ephesians on that. Now this next section is the last major section of the letter, and it is directed at his African-American congregation at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. But listen closely. It is prophetic for all of the Christian world today. It is about persecution, and Christians across the world and in our nation are facing persecution. So listen to the words he has to say, although they are in the context of uh, primarily of racism. May I just say a word to those of you who are struggling against this evil. Always be sure that you struggle by utilizing Christian methods. Never succumb to the temptation of becoming bitter. As you press on for justice, be sure to move with dignity and discipline, using only the weapon of love. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Always avoid violence. If you succumb to the temptation of using violence in your struggle, unborn generations will be the recipients of a long and desolate night of bitterness, and your chief legacy to the future will be an endless reign of meaningless chaos. In your struggle for justice, let your oppressor know that you are not attempting to defeat or humiliate him, or even to pay him back for injustice that he, injustices that he has heaped upon you. Let him know that you are merely seeking justice for him as well as for yourself. With this attitude, you will be able to keep your struggle on high Christian standards. 
Many persons will realize the urgency of seeking to eradicate the evil of segregation. There will be many Negroes who will devote their lives to the co this cause of freedom. There will be many white persons of goodwill and strong moral sensitivity who dare to take a stand for justice. Honesty impels me to admit that such a stand will require willingness to suffer and sacrifice. So don't despair if you are condemned and persecuted for righteousness' sake. Whenever you take a stand for truth and justice, you are liable to scorn. Uh, often, you will be called an impractical idealist or a dangerous radical. Sometimes it might mean going to jail. If such is the case, you must honorably grace the jail with your presence. It might even mean physical death. But if physical death is the price that must, some must pay to free their children from a permanent life of psychological death, then nothing could be more Christian. Don't worry about persecution, America. You're going to have it if you stand up for a great principle, including standing up for the faith of Christ. I can say this with some authority because my life was a continual round of persecutions. After my persecution, I was rejected by the disciples at Jerusalem. Later, I, I was tried for heresy at Jerusalem. I was jailed at Philippi. I was beaten at Thessalonica, and I was mobbed at Ephesus. And in Athens, I was depressed. And yet, I am still going strong. I came away from each of these experiences more persuaded than ever, than ever before that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans chapter 8. And then listen to this little paragraph. I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. I must bring my writing to a close now. Timothy is waiting to deliver this letter, and I must take leave for another church. But just before leaving, I must say to you, as I said to the church in Corinth, that I still believe that love is the most durable power in the world. Over the centuries, men have sought to discover the highest good. This has been the chief quest of ethical philosophy. This was one of the big questions of Greek philosophy. The Epicureans and the Stoics sought to answer it. Plato and Aristotle sought to answer it. What is the highest good of life? I think I have an answer, America. I think I have discovered the highest good, and it is love. This principle stands at the center of the cosmos. As John says, God is love. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. He who hates does not know God. Okay, I'm, on, I'm all right. I'm on, I'm on track here. So American Christians, you may master the intricacies of the English language. You may possess all of the eloquence of articulate speech. But even if you speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not love, you have become a sound, as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You may have the gift of prophecy and understanding all my mysteries. You may be able to break into the storehouse of nature and bring out many insights that men never dreamed were there. You may ascend to the heights of academic achievement so that, you, so that you will have all knowledge. You may boast of your great institutions of learning and the boundless extent of your degrees, but all of this amounts to absolutely nothing devoid of love. But even more, Americans, you may give your goods to feed the poor. You may give great gifts to charity. You may tower high in philanthropy, but if you have not love, it means nothing. 
You may even give your body to be burned and die the death of a martyr. Your spilt blood may be a symbol of honor for generations yet unborn, and thousands may praise you as history's supreme hero. But even so, if you have not love, your blood was spilt in vain. You must come to see, and then again, listen to this. You must come to see that it is impossible, I'm sorry, it is possible for a man to be self-centered in his self-denial and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. He may be generous in order to feed his ego and pious in order to feed his pride. Man has the tragic capacity to relegate a heightening virtue to a tragic device, a tragic vice. Without love, benevolence become, becomes egotism and martyrdom becomes spiritual pride. So the greatest of all virtues is love. It is here that we find the true meaning of the Christian faith. This is the meaning of the cross. The great event on Calgary, Calvary signifies more than a meaningless drama that took place on the stage of history. It is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity and see the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the most durable power in the world. I must say goodbye now. I hope this letter will find you strong in the faith. It is probable that I will not get to see you in America, but I will meet you in God's eternity. And now to him who is able to keep us from falling and, and to lift us up from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope, from the midnight of desperation to the daybreak of joy, to him be power and authority forever and ever. Amen. Apostle Paul. Let's pray together and we'll have our time of reflection. Lord God, we thank you for... Uh, we thank you for your word and its truth and how it was used in this sermon. And, and what a great reminder it is. There are so many things that your spirit led Paul to write in all of his letters that continue to be perhaps even more applicable today than they were even when they were written 2,100 years ago. God, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that your resurrected Christ would be real to us and that we would press into our faith in that resurrected Christ so that we might live as your body, that we might live as your people. Remind us that we are your body and you are our head and that we all need each other and that what everyone, what, what, whatever one does, it affects all the rest of us, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and that we weep with those who weep. God, remind us of those those great truths, and remind us of the principles that Jesus taught to us, and remind us that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live this life. Uh, God, I pray that we would uh, put away uh, our, our childish backgrounds and our, and our sin, and that we would look for you, and that we would be reminded that the author of Hebrews says that it is with boldness and confidence that we can approach your throne of grace for anything that we need. God, remind us of that daily. Fill us up. Set us apart for your ministry. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.